is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay. Welcome to the program. Noah Dobson, defenseman for the New York Islanders. Now, a couple of things to get out of the way here quickly. Noah Dobson is not Quinn Hughes. He's not. Noah Dobson is not Kale McCarr. He's not. But Noah Dobson, should he continue to play like this, is someone we should probably start talking about in and around the Norris Trophy. Now, I know there's a couple of things. We'll get into this a little bit later on when we talk to Thomas Hickey coming up in Hour 2. There's a couple of things here with Noah Dobson. As long as Adam Pellick is out, uh, Noah Dobson is getting top assignment and has looked good. The problem is when Pellick comes back and if Dobson's not playing in that top pair, he doesn't play on the top pair. He gets secondary matchups. And if you're going to win the Norris Trophy, you better get primary matchups. That's not there so far yet for Noah Dobson on a consistent basis, but the way he's played so far, folks, start talking about Noah Dobson, start talking more about that blue liner and the New York Islanders, and we'll do that coming up in hour two. Uh, so here's the show today. Brian Boyle is going to kick it off here in a couple of moments. Um, NHL analyst, former NHLer, uh, works for the NHL Network. Elliot's pushed to hour two. He's at the Blue Jackets Maple Leafs gate this morning. It's Adam Fantilli's first game in Toronto in the NHL. So we'll talk plenty about Columbus and we'll talk plenty about Adam Fantilli. Uh, Jeff Baker is going to stop by as well. Jeff Baker, of course, writes for the Seattle Times. We'll talk about the Seattle Kraken, what's gone on there, how Ron Francis perhaps plans to change things or turn things around, and how different might this team look come trade deadline time. So we'll talk to him. Uh, coming up at the bottom of this hour, and as I mentioned, Thomas Hickey, and there is your program. Uh, in the meantime, around the NHL this evening, uh, a number of games uh, to get to, and most specifically in St. Louis, it is day one of the Bannister Era. Drew Bannister, the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, on an interim capacity. Uh, St. Louis faces off against the Ottawa Senators. A couple of changes here to the lines. Um, Robert Thomas playing with Jordan Cairo and Pavel Bushnevich. Uh, Shen Saad and Kapanen. Hayes with Neighbors and Toropchenko. Sunquist with McGinn and McEckern. Uh, Letty Pareko, Krug, Falks, Gandela, Tucker, Perunovic is your seventh there. Uh, Bennington and Hofer, this from Matthew DeFranks. Um, so this one caught a lot of people by surprise. So everyone's still sort of getting their comments out and their takes out on what exactly happened with Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues. And of course, inevitably, you'll hear comments from players and a lot of them will sound disappointment and try to jump on the grenade themselves, dive on the knife, however you want to put it. Uh, most notably, and we'll hear from him now, here's Braden Shen on Craig Berube's dismissal. Uh, I guess the first emotions are you feel guilty and you, and you feel um, uh, responsible for a lot of it. Um, that one really, uh, it, it's happened in the past uh, with coach being fired and stuff like that, but uh, that one really stings for, for me personally. just had him for so long and he's been so good to me throughout my career and um, you know what he means to the Blues organization and, and uh, a lot of players uh, currently and, and past uh, what he's done here. So... Um, you know, uh, it's uh, tough hearing that news, but uh, to a man, we all have to be better uh, in this locker room. Braden, was his message continuing to resonate, though, with the guys in here, even to the last day? Um, you know what? I, I, it's uh, the pro sports where, uh, you know, Chief wanted a, uh, you know, hard, physical, you know, workmanlike, demanding hockey team. And, um, you know, he kept on uh, pounding at home, and, and for whatever reason, we had spurts of it, but but not enough of it. And and um, you know, I, I felt like his message was was very clear. It's always been black and white with Chief, and and uh, uh, I know a lot of guys certainly love playing for him, but um, you know, it's it's just one of those things where uh, for whatever reason uh, the, the the response wasn't uh, wasn't coming for uh, enough games, and and uh, before you know it, uh, changes are made. Why? All right, so there he is. Uh, that's Braden Shen of the St. Louis Blues commenting on the dismissal uh, of Craig Berube. Tonight, Drew Bannister behind the bench as the St. Louis Blues face off against the Ottawa Senators. Also, the Maple Leafs take on the Columbus Blue Jackets, Vancouver and Florida. That'll be a really good game. Uh, as will Edmonton and Tampa. I almost don't want to say this, but <laughs> you think Tampa might not make the playoffs this year? Like, there's a chance, right? Uh, we'll see. That would be the hot take of all time, but 
there's a chance. They're 12, 13, 12, and 5. Not exactly lighting the NHL on fire, but then at the same time, they are the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, a couple of things from last night. The Boston Bruins lose in overtime to the New Jersey Devils. Jack Hughes with the heroics there. Uh, most notably with the Boston Bruins, we will find out in just under two hours' time whether someone claims Jacob Zaborl, uh placed on waivers, trying to give another chance with, uh, with another team. We'll see if anyone bites. I would have to think that there's a team out there in the NHL that looks at Zaborl and says... Yeah, we've got a third-pairing spot for him. But we'll see what happens here in, uh, in under a couple of hours here. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens in a marathon shootout last night. Jansen Harkins, 12th round, uh, scores in the process. Sidney Crosby in this game. You know we talked the other day about if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you can't squander a season like this from Sidney Crosby. Well, he just keeps on piling up. Three points last night for Sidney Crosby. That ties Mark Recchi. So he jumps over Paul Coffey and ties Mark Recchi 13th in uh, all-time points in the NHL, 1,533. Let's not forget when Sidney Crosby broke in, he was a teammate of Mark Recchi. 1,533 points so far for Sidney Crosby and still adding. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche added it up 5-1 to one last night against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, the rhinoceros, uh, extends his point streak now at 13 games. Uh, picks up point number 800. Uh, two assists in that one. Valerie Chushkin with a pair of goals. Sam Belinsky, congratulations. Your first career NHL goal. Ivan Prosvitov with 29 saves. On the Buffalo side of things last night, tough one. Speaking of McKinnon, he catches Jeff Skinner in the second period. Upper body injury. He left the game. And a really nice... Listen, we know that Eric Johnson was emotional going into this one. He had been with the Colorado Avalanche for pretty much the majority of his career. This was going to be a tough one for Eric Johnson nonetheless. And uh, I don't know, kind of a kind of a funny moment. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who is in Denver now, uh, with his daughter and a sign uh, along the glass in warm-up saying, wrong jersey, but we still love you. Uh, the tribute was great. The ovation was great. You know where Eric Johnson's heart is, and we all understand why the Avalanche made the decision uh, that they had to, mainly because of salary cap uh, the ramifications. But, you know, listen, that's a, that, that's a tough one. A uh, tough one for the Buffalo Sabres last night. Listen, we mentioned we're going to talk about Noah Dobson coming up. I'm going to talk to him with uh, Thomas Hickey coming up an hour or two. They beat the Anaheim Ducks 4-3. to three. And congratulations, Gabe Velarde. That must feel real good. Four points for Velarde last night. Ehlers with four points as well. Two plus two. Winnipeg hands it to the Los Angeles uh, Kings by a final score of 5-2. to two. To talk about these games and other NHL news, We'll kick off the program today with former NHLer, now analyst with the NHL Network, the great Brian Boyle. Brian, how are you today, pal? Good, Jeff. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. You know, I, I want to park a little bit of time, maybe towards the, the end of our conversation, to get your thoughts on Barb Underhill, who did a lot of work with you. Uh, she's done a lot of work with Quentin Byfield, the Los Angeles Kings as well. I just want to get your thoughts on on what she's like as a skating instructor, what she did for you and what you see in Quentin Byfield of the Kings now. But, um, I, you know, the, the, the headline story of the week has been uh, the firing of Craig Berube, head coach of the St. Louis Blues. Drew Bannister takes over in an interim capacity. You know, I played a clip from Braden Shen off the top of the show where essentially he's saying, you know, all the players feel guilty. Like, from a player's point of view, before we talk about the blues themselves but from a player's point of view you know not everyone's always on side with the coach but nonetheless when a coach gets fired what happens in the room oh that's a wake-up call and that you know it's you can't keep banging your head against the wall you have to change something and the old yeah cliche that everyone talks about is you can't trade everyone you got to make a change though and to salvage the season with players that can make a difference in an NHL game, I think they have enough of them. Something had to be done. And look, for mm -hmm. better or worse, it worked last time, you know, and they're nowhere near where they were last time, and they ended up having great success and winning a Stanley Cup. So it's, you know, I think the players are disappointed, most of them. Even guys that weren't there when they won that Cup, I think were disappointed. And Right. But you have to defend and you have to – I mean, they've made other changes. They bring in Brad Richards as well for the power play. These are important parts of the yep. game that they weren't doing a good enough job of. So I think sometimes that's what has to happen. It happened in Minnesota, and you heard, you know, that exchange between Dean Evason and Bill Guerin 
I thought that was a, a wonderful thing to put out there for the fans to see how hard it is, even yep. for the GM to do that. You have a responsibility, your owner, to your fans, and ultimately your, your guys that are in there are trying to win. You don't have no one, you know, not everyone gets to play 20 years and is going to be on a stacked team, especially now. It's there's more parity and, mm-hmm. and you have a chance with good players that are signed up. You got to make a change. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't think it's going to be long before uh, Craig Ruby gets another job, but that's just part of it. Uh, it is part of it too. And, you know, I, I talked on the show yesterday about, you know, messages getting lost over a number of years, you know, Elliot writes in his most latest blog about, you know, the Larry Bird rule, which is three years. And then the message starts to get, you know, uh, get lost a little bit, you know, there's a little bit too much water in the wine all of a sudden over after a couple of years, and it doesn't have the same sting that it had when you first opened the bottle, which I guess makes John Cooper's situation even that more impressive uh, that oh, yeah. he continues. And clearly the messages are, are, are not getting lost at all in Tampa. Um, but what do you expect out of the Blues? Like the Blues play the Ottawa Senators tonight, and we're always you know, looking at that first game and seeing, you know, who responds, how they respond. Uh, it's a new coach, albeit one uh, who still has the interim tag on him in Drew Bannister. But, like, what do you expect, like, player to player tonight with St. Louis? They're at home, they're fans, new coach. What are they coming? Like, what, what's going through their mind going through this game? Because it's not like any other game that they've played this season. This is the first one sort of auditioning for the new coach. Okay, we got a freeze right now on uh, on the on the Zoom call with Brian. We'll uh, try to get him back here in a couple of moments. Uh, elsewhere around the NHL, um, specifically last night, and oh, just as a couple of side, a couple couple more thoughts here on on Craig Berube. Um, you know, Brian mentioned you know he's not going to be out of a job very long. I say the same thing about all the coaches that have been fired this year, and I know there's only 32 of these things, and you can make a case for a lot more than 32 people around the NHL who should have jobs. Um, you know, I don't think that Jay Woodcroft will be uh, unemployed very long, just as I don't think that Dean Evason will be unemployed very long. And, you know, uh, to, Brian, to Brian's point a second ago, I don't think at all uh, that Craig Berube is going to be gone uh, from, the, uh, from the NHL very long. Once you win a Stanley Cup, everything changes for you, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're an executive, it doesn't matter. You know, there's a certain cachet that comes along with a ring and your name on the Stanley Cup. All of a sudden it becomes this guy knows how to do it because he's done it before. He's been on a team that's done it, either on the ice or behind the bench. That carries a lot of power along with it. Um, you know, it, the interesting thing about Craig Berube, too, and that was a really, really bizarre eighteen nineteen season for the St. Louis Blues when everybody was going to get waived, everybody was going to get traded, uh, everyone's getting sent down to the minors, and then none of it happened. The, uh, the coach got dismissed, and Craig Berube came in on an interim capacity, and they made a Hail Mary pass trying to get Jordan Binnington up, and they did, uh, and he ended up, you know, winning the Stanley Cup with them. Ryan O'Reilly picks up the Smythe Trophy, and that was someone who was greatly um, maligned uh, going into that season. And what was it going to be with Ryan O'Reilly and the St. Louis Blues? Uh, anyhow, so uh, a few things uh, to go over um, with Brian when he, uh, when he rejoins us here in a couple of miles, a couple of moments. We have Brian Boyle back now. Uh, Brian, sorry, your, your Zoom uh, kind of froze a second ago. Um, was just asking you, you know, what are the players going to be like tonight? And like, what's going through Shen's head or Thomas's head? Like specifically Robert Thomas, who probably looks at himself and says, you know what? I might be a captain somewhere down the road here. What's going through their minds tonight? And we have him frozen again. Why don't we try just, let's, let's just give him a call, regular, uh, regular cell line instead of, uh, instead of trying for zoom and, and we'll do it that way. Um, a little bit later on, uh, we're going to talk to Thomas Hickey about the New York Islanders. Uh, Elliot Friedman is going to stop by in hour two. More on this St. Louis Blues situation with Elliot. And a couple of other things in his notes uh, from 32 Thoughts that just came out this morning on Sportsnet.ca. Namely, uh, Shane Pinto returning to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Zach Parisi skating again. Uh, does that mean a return to the New York Islanders? Is there still a spot there? Uh, has Lula Morello, you know, kept that avenue open, kept the phone lines open between Parisi and the Islanders? We strongly suspect yes. 
Uh, more on Ethan Bear and perhaps a, an inevitable signing with the Washington Capitals. Um, I'll talk to Jeff Baker at the bottom of the hour about the Seattle Kraken, but Elliot writes a note about Philip Grubauer as well. And could the uh, Seattle Kraken be bracing for a longer stretch without their netminder, uh, their number one netminder in Grubauer? Uh, we have Brian Boyle back. So, sorry, Brian, we're having a problem with your uh, with your Zoom freezing, so we'll we'll do it this way instead. Uh, your thoughts on what do you expect from the Blues team tonight? Some of those players, Robert Thomas, Braden Shen, uh, Tory Krug, whomever. What's going through their mind tonight? Yeah, top to bottom, it, it really is. It's something that it's a, it's an opportunity now for a new first impression. And the coach will go in with information, and he'll give probably the speech that it, you know it's a clean slate for everybody, and that's what they do, and they come in. But you have a chance yeah. in the first period of that game to make a difference and show the coach what you're about. And he's going to collect information as it goes, but they need to start winning games and. It's a great opportunity against the, an Ottawa team that you look down the bottom. That's where they are, but they've only played 23 games, and they're they're plus they're a plus team. So this will be a great challenge, mm-hmm. and it'll be and hopefully an entertaining game to watch because we all know how Ottawa plays, and St. Louis when they're playing well has that edge to them as well. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, should be a good one. I think we're all looking forward to a couple of other games tonight, uh, most notably the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Edmonton Oilers. Now, listen, Edmonton is on an eight-game run here. Connor McDavid is healthy, and he's taken everybody along with him on the ride. Uh, 25 points in his last 10 games. You know, we're starting to talk about Art Ross Trophy and Hart Trophy and the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. They're one point shy of it right now. Uh, tonight, standing in their way is a team that has, to be blunt, not played as well as we've seen Tampa play before uh, in in the Lightning here. Um, your thoughts on both these squads heading into this one, uh, Tampa, and I always like Brian. I'm not sure about you, and yes, and you you played there, and, and you know, uh, I always hesitate to make bold statements against the Tampa Bay Lightning because I've been proven wrong so many different times by this team. Um, but this is a team that so far this season isn't where we thought they would be. Uh, your thoughts on the Bolts and the Oilers before this one tonight? Uh, well, so here we'll start with Tampa, and Vassy has had a lot of time off, and he demands a lot from himself. And if he becomes Vassy again, and they're two, three points out of a playoff spot come, say, February, yeah, you know, why would you count them out? Because the guy who doesn't get talked about enough is Nikita Kucherov, in my opinion. He's your... He's my heart trophy guy, always. He's so dynamic. He creates. He has an edge to him, and he plays a different way. He looks like he's got a bad attitude, and, you know, somebody, somebody, you know, choked out his dog or something ridiculous. Every single day he goes to the ring grumpy, and he, puts, <laughs> he gets two or three points, and he just does it. it. It's like the guy, he's in Florida, I guess. Maybe that's why. But anyways, they, they are a new-look team this year. They, they're trying to yeah. – change a little bit how they want to play they don't want to be as much of a grind team especially on the bottom six as they have been in the past strictly because of the personnel that they brought in now they they're a quicker team they're trying to be a quicker team and play a more in your face fast style and you know if timing's off a little bit or it's not quite clicking it sometimes looks like it has looked for tampa and i i mm-hmm. still have full belief in them and as you said you can't really count them out until they're uh so they're eliminated. They're just, they have such a pedigree of winning and it's, they're fun to watch. I got, I still have yeah. close friends down there and maybe I'm a little biased, but they're, uh, I root for them always. Now with Edmonton, they fired their coach in like 40 seconds into their next game against the Islanders. The same problems happen. So that's where I'm at with Edmonton. And until they can prove to me, now I haven't watched them as much in the last week and they've been on a heater. But until they can yeah. prove to me that they're committed more to structure, I get that they want to play to their strengths, and I get Connor wants to be Connor, and he's going to be. It's an incredible asset, I think, for the whole league. And as a fan anywhere, you watch that guy. It's appointment television. But there's going to be a yeah. time and a place where you need to get reps and you need to understand that it really hasn't worked that way. It 
they all need to commit to it. And if it comes from him, they'll all commit to it. And that's, that's defending and in structure. And maybe it's 20 less points a year, which is puts them at like 125, right? Instead of 145. It'll be, it'll, it'll end <laughs> it's up like the Bruins. Yeah. Like they'll be unbeatable. No one will, no one will touch yeah. them. So it's a little frustrating to me to see so, so many weapons and, and including 97, who is just the ultimate. And, you know, I love the guy. I root for the guy. I want him to, break records my kid watches them and i love that he watches them and is a huge fan of his he's just so great for the game so he he's so great mm-hmm. he should be you know hoisting trophies over his head at the in june every year and i just it frustrates me that i think they could and you know that that first shift when when you know after you know after the coaching change there's a goal in the back of their net because they're they're trying to go for offense when they don't have control of the pucks. They've obviously figured it out and they're on a heater. Uh, I want them to continue on that here. They're, it's just it's much more electric and fun to watch when they're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game's always better when the superstars go deep into the playoffs. And listen, Edmonton has you know the best player in the world right now in, in Connor McDavid. I, I think that one of the frustrations is you know Jay Woodcroft, you know obviously before he got fired, you know tried to change things up a little bit, and it was more of a more of a defensive slant to the Edmonton Oilers. Like in the in the off season, Edmonton internally kind of said, okay, what made Boston successful in the regular season? What made Vegas successful in the postseason? What can we do to replicate that? And that is more of a defensive posture. They tried that and it didn't work. Like that's that's kind of like it's kind of like where I see the Edmonton Oilers. Like, what do you do if you know? To your point, if you're going to win Stanley Cups, you have to be able to defend. Yet when they do that, they've tried it for the first 15 games and the whole thing kind of fell apart. Now Connor McDavid's injury was the wild card in all of it. But what do you do when your team's only successful when you just say, okay, Connor, get out there and score two? Well, it doesn't work. You can't do it. You to put it, I guess, in its simplest forms, you have to do it. It's non-negotiable. You have to be able to defend. You have to stop. And, you know, we call it protect the house. you got to have five guys on a dice. Like, that is where all, everything happens. And when you do it, even if you don't do it perfectly, mm-hmm. the chances you give up from a goaltending perspective, like you know where the chances are. You can read the game. Goalies don't get enough credit, but they, in my opinion, make pretty good analysts because they see the game from a whole different, whole different yep. perspective. And you see it with, I mean, I, I'm close with Corey Schneider, who I played with in Jersey. I played with at Boston College. We would drive to the rink together, and I would ask him a ton of questions about what he saw, and hmm. I wouldn't understand it, and I'd try to look at it from his perspective, and it gained a lot of knowledge. They're, you know, I hate giving goalies credit. I think that they're just they're, – <laughs> they, they deserve it. Like, that's just, that's the, and so yeah. when you see that and you have that structure, the breakdowns are happening for you before the chance actually gets to you. So you know where the breakdown is. You can anticipate. I think your goaltending gets better. Now, it might – you might feel like you're not doing anything. You might feel like that was a lost shift, but at least the puck didn't go in your net. And that's like the goals that were going in against them. They kind of happened out of nowhere. Like I looked at it like they weren't being earned by the opponent. Like they were almost given to them. And that is just, you can't win. And that, that crushes the bench that crushes your spirit as a player. You work so hard to try and create just momentum. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Like Connor can go out and change the game in a shift, but you got 12 forwards. And Leon might be able to do it too. And there's a couple other dynamic forwards, but there's guys that work really hard for their offense on the bottom six. But that's a crushing blow to them. And you need everybody going, especially as the playoffs go along. Uh, let me finish up by asking you about Quentin Byfield. And I want to ask you about Quentin Byfield of the LA Kings by way of asking you about Barb Underhill. Now, one of the best, you know, skating instructors uh, in the world. Uh, she worked with you. You've talked about your work with, uh, with Barb Underhill before. Uh, we see what she's doing with Quentin Byfield, who might be the most improved player in the NHL uh, this season. I know that he's playing with Kopitar and Kempe, and maybe that makes it easier. Um, but what did Barb Underhill do for your skating? And I don't know how much you've watched Quentin Byfield this year, but his skating looks tremendous. Uh, he's a big guy. You're a big guy. What did Barb Underhill do for you that maybe you see in Byfield right now? 
Well, I'll start with Barbie. She's five feet tall, and I got on the ice at uh, yep. MasterCard Center. <laughs> I traveled. I traveled up there to, to see Barb. We get on the ice, and I'm like in my head thinking, "What is what is this? You know, hour going to look like in the middle of summer?" Yeah. And she just looks at me and she goes, "What the hell are we going to do right now?" <laughs> and I was like, "All right." So she puts <laughs> me on a line and just makes me skate in a straight line and videotapes me. And then within like, I don't know, four minutes, she's like, okay, I know what we're doing. And the hour was turned out to be three hours. And I couldn't barely walk the next day. Essentially, she broke down my stride because she's a genius. Uh, she's hilarious. Yeah. She's just a pleasure to work with, a great human being, and supremely talented gator, obviously, but coach as well. Like her eye for inefficiencies were was incredible. And she would send me video. I would work on it at home. I ended up on ice with her for like 27 or 30 hours that summer. And I went from just being a fringe guy who got a bunch of chances because I was a high pick and I was big to an NHL player. Yeah. She, she redid my whole stride in, in the gym. I was strong and explosive. I could jump, I could run for whatever reason I couldn't get going on the ice because I was just eating so poorly mm. I was getting exhausted and I had no glide to my stride and every ounce of effort I put in, I was equaling with, you know, effort to slow myself down without knowing it. So she, she unlocked that whole thing and it was hard because I was 25, I think at the time to kind of not go back to the bad habits, but she constantly reminded yeah. me she would check in and, you know, just an unbelievable ally for me and huge, huge part of my career. Now, Byfield's a high pick. You know, the pressure on him is probably put on himself, but not necessarily as much from the media, like where he was drafted, you know, the market. Yeah. And now it is like I pay attention to him because that draft was interesting to me, and I heard yep. what he could be. And I, I listened to you guys talking about him last year, and he went down. I think yeah. last year Ontario and tore it up and did really well. Yep. So I started just trying to pay attention and you root for guys like that. And then his goal, I think it was sure. this week or last week, I forget. We just highlight real epic electric goal. Yep. And he's just, he looks just like a thoroughbred. He's a horse just flying around. It's so, it's so he's arrived. He's arrived now. What a huge yeah. asset for him to have arrived. Like, if you could get dominant play from those high picks, like say, look at, you know, and Lafreniere has been good. He's a good example. Like he's been good this year. But if him yeah. and Kako go off and just take a huge step where they can be game breakers, like what are you, what are we saying about the oh. Rangers right now? And they've been good. And they're, so, I mm -hmm. mean, it's just, it's a huge thing for the Kings. It's why I love the Kings this year. It's why the, the West might be somewhat top heavy, but that's going to be an exciting second and third round in the playoffs. Like, yep. And Quentin Barfield's a huge part of that. Because you get the three centers, and then you got Trevor Moore, who's been chipping in really well. He's a great player. And then you get Byfield. It's like, who do you, who do you match up against? Yeah. Well, and, and Byfield's eventually going to slide into his natural uh, position at center. But right now, good luck taking one of those spots. But he looks great yeah. uh, on the side with uh, Anse Kopitar and Adrian Kempe. Real quick before I let you go, who's your favorite team? I mean, listen, I always love this asking players this. Who's your favorite team to watch? Like, I know you have, still have friends all over, and you mentioned you still have tight associations uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But is there a team that is must-see TV for you? I do. I can't. I I can't pick one. I do. I love watching Tampa. I love watching Pitt just because I'm seeing what Sid's doing yeah. night in and night out. Still, and I root for him. Yep. The Rangers are fun because they're they're high event. And if you know this week is they've still been high event this week even though they've lost. And, you know, I root for the Rangers uh, as well. And even the game against Toronto, I was like, this is this is a fun game to watch. It's not going great for New York right now, but I'm, I'm having fun watching it. I looked up in the third period. There was like mm -hmm. shots for 21-22. You would have thought they were 40-40. to 40. It just looked like a fast, open game. And that, you know, that kind of counters everything I said about how much I love structure and I want people to defend. <laughs> but from just a fan <laughs> perspective, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, Absolutely. Uh, Ranger, like, 
Rangers, Rangers are a ton of fun. Um, uh, Zabinajad is and Zabinajad's you know beautiful to watch. I, I still th- I still can't stop watching our Temi Panarin. Like to me, he's the ultimate problem solver. Like oh this team this this player is having a problem, put him with Panarin. Oh this guy's struggling, put him with Panarin. Like he's he, like, what a luxury Peter Laviolette has. Yeah, like but him and even Adam Fox, it's like they they make space that isn't there. I don't know how they do it. And usually I can watch you can watch Connor like <laughs> oh, he's just so fast and his hands are so fast and he can do all these yeah. things. Like and Aaron does like a sidestep and guys just peel off and he's like, Oh no, I have all this room. I I don't know how they they're like a puppet master <laughs> and I don't know how they can do it. I still can't figure it out. And I just get like in a trance yeah. watching them because if I'm coaching youth players, I try to teach them things that the pros do well. I can't teach them that. I don't know how the, I don't know how they do that. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it's not necessarily blazing speed. It's just deception is off the yeah. charts. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I always teach my kids whenever you're out there, always be giving out bad information. Every time you're out there, give out bad information, and probably no one does it better than Panarin because guys bite on whatever he wants them to bite on. It's it's fascinating. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. Continued success. Uh, you're becoming one of the best in the biz already. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. I really appreciate it, Brian. Thanks, Jeff. Pray for my internet, please. That was, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. It, uh, it's happened to all of us on Zoom. Uh, there he is, the great Brian Boyle from the NHL Network, former NHLer, um, former student and client of the great Barb Underhill, uh, who's now, uh, whose who's evidence of fine work you can see in Quinton Byfield of the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, we'll take a break. We're going to get on the Seattle Kraken page here in a couple of seconds with Jeff Baker. And a couple of things with the Kraken. One, um, are they looking for a scorer? And two, are they looking for a right shot center? And maybe could that be a guy in Calgary? We'll see what happens there. Elliot Friedman kicks off hour two. Uh, Thomas Hickey of the Islanders broadcast, former NHLer and Islander himself. Uh, we'll stop by and we'll park some time and talk about Noah Dobson, certainly. And there's your show today, all right? Uh, 90 more minutes, uh, lots to get to. So a quick break, back in a moment across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Merrick's show continues. Jeff Baker on the Kraken, next. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget, coming up in hour two, uh, I'll have a conversation with Thomas Hickey from the Islanders broadcast, former NHL defenseman. We'll talk about the Islanders and specifically Noah Dobson. And is he now in the Norris conversation? Although I don't think anyone's putting him in the Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes category just yet. He's probably just a little bit outside of that elite plateau uh, where those two defensemen reside. Also, Elliot Friedman kicks off hour two. Normally, he kicks off hour one, uh, but he went to the Maple Leafs Blue Jackets skate this morning. In the meantime, let's get on the Seattle Kraken page. Uh, tonight, they'll face off against the Chicago Blackhawks um, in the someone-has-to-win bowl. Although, for Seattle, uh, their eight-game losing skid uh, came to an end, thankfully, the other night against the Florida Panthers with a 4 nothing shutout. Here for comments on uh, what's happening right now with the Seattle Kraken and where they may be headed, and what does Ron Francis have up his sleeve from the Seattle Times, the great Jeff Baker. Jeff, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Can't wait to see if the Kraken can put a two-game winning streak together. It it could be a monumental day. Uh, I was going to say, like, everyone's crossing our fingers. Two-game streak. I know we sort of say this uh, tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, for the Seattle Kraken, I, I guess at this point right now, considering how the season's gone, you're holding on to anything, grasping on to any type of positivity. I know this Winter Classic is, is going to be fantastic. They always are. But you never want to see a team limp into the Winter Classic, and that's what Seattle's done so far this season. Um, so is there is there one area, are there a couple of areas you can pinpoint um, and say this is where it fell apart for Seattle? Or I'll just be blunt with you, Jeff. Do we look at last year and say you know what, maybe that was a mirage. What do you think? 
I've heard that theory uh, espoused a lot of it by by fans that that are you know hopeful that this team is really better than it is or trying to make excuses for the team. Look, there's no mirage about going deep into the mm-hmm. second round of the playoffs. There's no mirage about getting 100 points. If you're good enough to finish with 100 points one season, you should be good enough to contend for a playoff spot the next. I think anything else would be would amount to letting this team off the hook, and I'm not sure why people want to do that. But there are a lot of people inclined to do that, maybe because they're a third-year franchise and they ignore the fact that they, they had improved expansion rules over the teams of 30 years ago. But look, this is a team that, you yeah. know, until they beat Florida the other night, was on pace to, to match their season of two years ago, which was a 60-point season. And uh, they were on pace for, I think, 63 points. And honestly, that's not good enough, no matter no matter who you are. So that that's two years have gone by, and, and you're three points better than when you were the third-worst team in the NHL. That That's not any kind of a, a plan that's working out. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong this season. Uh, you can start with the goaltending that was subpar for the first few weeks and 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 they missed out on a chance to win some winnable games and those winnable games might have helped sustain them through this period right now where they've been you know racked by injuries again Andre Burkowski's out Jaden Schwartz is out that's huge for them they're having trouble scoring goals right now and so yeah you know missing out on all those games early uh denied them a cushion that might have helped them out right now when you know scoring two or three goals a game is is looking monumental for these guys at, at this point and so um, yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's a lot of stuff all around that we can we can dissect, but but things just have not gone according to plan for the Kraken this year. You know, I, I think the goal. I think one of the things you touched on there, the goal scoring, is a huge one, and it, it might be one of the toughest things to acquire. Like I know New Jersey got Tyler Toffoli. Like, okay, so it is possible to get someone uh, that can score goals, but generally teams don't let those guys go uh, unless they're on expiring contracts and it's a dump because your season hasn't gone according to plan. Like, I, I do wonder a, a couple of things about Ron Francis through all of this. Uh, and one, we'll see what the the outcome and the prognosis on, on Grubauer is, and maybe they need to get in the goalie market as well. Um, but I wonder, like, how is Ron Francis going to address the scoring issue? And your point is a great one about Burakovsky and Schwartz because they look so different without those two players in the lineup. How do you address the, the scoring situation, either externally with a trade, or do you think maybe this is a call to Coachella Valley, and you look down the middle uh, of the crack and you say, all of our centers are left-hand shots, and we got right-hand shot Shane Wright sitting there, who's almost a point per game in Coachella Valley. Maybe it's time to call him up. Which way do you think Ron Francis is leaning here? I think Ron Francis is going to wait and see what happens through, let's say, the Christmas break. Um, you know, they got they got a game against Chicago coming up that should be a winnable game for them. See if they can get on any kind of a roll. It's tough though. They've got LA coming up. They've got Dallas coming up on the road. They got LA at home as well. I mean, it's not a very favorable schedule. I, I agree with your point that I think you know the time to call Shane right up is coming. For this team, they, they're very left-handed. I mean, they're they're all left-handed shots at the center position right now. They could probably use a little more variety in that regard. The one thing they don't want to do is rush Shane right up before he's ready. He came up already this season. Uh, I think he went a couple of games without getting a shot on goal at one point, and and yeah, you know, so that's not what they want. They don't need him getting dominated, especially by by the elite caliber competition they're about to face the next few games. But I could mm-hmm. see that you know maybe after the Christmas break. They would call him up. Look, look. There's no magical pill that's going to fix the crack in this season. I, I mean, they're almost maxed out on on salary cap space right now. Um, they, they've, you know, they, they've, they pretty much got to got to go with what they have at this point. And what they've got to do is try to survive until you know Schwartz and, and Burakovsky can come back and see if they can make something out of it. There, uh, the one thing you're not going to see, you're not going to see them wave the the white surrender flag and pull the plug on their season and start bringing everybody up from Coachella Valley. That's not going to happen. And the reason why is uh, their season ticket renewals finally start this spring. They, they made everybody buy season tickets on three year minimum plans, and those are coming due this spring. So they can't exactly, you know, run up the, the surrender flag right now and, and go through and, and have yeah. the worst team in the NHL and compete for a lottery pick. That's not going to sell any tickets. They got to try to salvage what's left of this season uh, and, and at least try to make it look better than it has uh, so far. And that's what they're going to try to do. Let, let, let me swing back on, on Shane Wright for a second there, because I'm, I'm I'm curious about, you know, where and how 
they use Shane Wright because we've seen kids get called up from the uh, the American Hockey League before and they plug them into a fourth line or a third line position, don't give them any power play time and then say, well, you know what, uh, it really didn't work out. They really didn't do anything. With, with someone like Shane Wright, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this one. It, it feels to me like if you're not going to use Shane Wright in a top six role, don't bother calling him up. Like a player like that needs to be able to play top six minutes and be in top six situations. With Shane Wright specifically, Jeff, do you agree or disagree with that? I think it would definitely help his his development's been hindered enough, you know, for things that that really aren't the organization's fault. A lot of it had to do with COVID and and the, and the, the rules about uh, you know transfers yeah. for teenagers. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying there. I, I, I don't see, and I, I don't think the Kraken really see at this point any any benefit to having him up for six, seven minutes a game, like you said. So you have to figure out who he's going to replace. And if you're playing him at the center position, is, is he going to bump Matty Benares out of a spot? Probably not. Is he going to bump Alex Wimberg out of mm-hmm. a spot? I don't think so because the, Mar- the, the Mariners, the, uh, the Kraken, Freudian slip there, the Kraken, <laughs> You know, I'm probably going to have to trade Wenberg at some point. He's, his contract is up. So, you you know, you want to build his value. You don't want to sit him on the bench. You know, Pierre yeah. Edouard Belmont has already sat uh, a game. He got benched the other night. Um, you know, that, that would be the obvious candidate. But he's a fourth-line guy. So, you know, to your yeah. point, I don't know that calling Shane right up right now is, is going to really benefit anybody. I can see that happening in the new year. I think they have to make a decision. On, on what they've got and whether they're going to get enough out of Belmar going forward and some of the other guys. Belmar had a really good night the other night. Um, his line was very productive. And, I mean, if that continues, then it lessens the need to call up Shane Wright. The problem is they haven't been getting any consistency sure. out of any of their lines. So they have to figure out, you know, in a pretty, in pretty short order, uh, you know, what that's going to look like. Uh, you mentioned the Mariners, so I have to ask you about the Winter Classic since they're playing uh, at a baseball stadium. Uh, how's the market been? Uh, what's the vibe in the city? What uh, I'll be headed there just before New Year's to to do some interviews and then and then watch the game. Uh, what am I in store for when I get to Seattle at uh, just before January? Well, there's zero vibe right now in the city about the Winter Classic. Unfortunately, they have a, a football team, the, the Washington Huskies, that are playing in the national semifinal game the exact same day as the Winter Classic. And so that that's really going to take a lot of the wind out of its sails. Uh, in fairness to the market, though, Kraken haven't been playing all that well. There's not a whole lot of NHL vibe going on right now in the city. And frankly, there hasn't been a whole lot of marketing surrounding the game. They, they finally just released some details mm. the last day or two about some fan fests that are going on the nhl did tonight and honestly if, if i'm them i'm stepping up my marketing efforts a little bit better than, than they've been so far because there, there is no vibe right now about the winter classic in town and that's too bad because i think it's going to be a great event I, I think it's going to build as we get closer to it but if it's me i'd probably start a little bit uh a little bit sooner work on the marketing because there's a lot going on sports wise in this town right now and uh and the hockey team sure. just hasn't done enough to really capture the attention of fans I'm not trying to, to turn it around. Uh, yeah, no, but God, listen, you got to be, 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 be honest about the whole thing. Yeah, you have to you have to be honest about the thing. Like if it's not there, it's it's not there. And I'm I'm with you. If it's if it's not, then uh, step up the marketing efforts because listen, I, and I've always maintained that these types of events for the NHL they do work better. Uh, in baseball stadiums and football stadiums, and this one should be a great one here uh, between Seattle and Vegas. Uh, Jeff, thanks as always for stopping by and, and sharing your insight. You've been great from day one of this franchise, and even before this franchise. I, I always appreciate your contributions. Thanks so much for this. Hey, anytime. There he is, uh, Jeff Baker from uh, from Seattle, covering the Seattle Kraken. Uh, times are tough. Goal scoring is lean right now. I do wonder about... Uh, players like Lindholm in Calgary, um, as long as that situation continues and as long as the Seattle Kraken still have a need uh, for goals and for offense, uh, I wonder if Seattle is in that mix. Uh, not that anyone is going to find out necessarily because, you know, much like the Detroit Red Wings or the Tampa Bay Lightning or most notably the New York Islanders, Ron Francis really keeps it close to the vest. 
but we'll see. You know, Elliot wrote about this the other week in 32 Thoughts when he said, don't be surprised or, you know, would, would anyone be surprised if all of a sudden, bam, Ron Francis uh, has a mega deal that he announces to address uh, a lot of the team's problems here. But speaking about the team's problems, uh, we're still waiting to see uh, what the long-term prognosis is here for Philip Grubauer. They're, uh, they're starting Netminder, right now going with Joey Decord and Chris Drieger. Uh, if it's bad, does Ron Francis all of a sudden, you know, in the Seattle Kraken, join the list of people in the goalie market uh, right now, which include a number of teams. I would imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, will very much be in that market, the Carolina Hurricanes as well. Um, does Seattle get into that conversation as well? Let's bring in uh, Matt Marchese here for the uh, first time this year. We're giving you a little bit of a break, so I know you're feeling under the weather, but you soldiered through on your football show, so good for you, Matty. Yeah, and of course, uh, one of the guests couldn't make it because he was under the weather, so trying to fill by yourself when you're uh, a little under the weather is quite something. I had to catch my breath a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You end up uh, sucking up a lot of the oxygen when your uh, when your co-host can't make it. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I understand it. Uh, I've been on both sides of it. But uh, hey, before we get to um, before we get to the sports interaction feature here and your uh, your pick mm-hmm. of the night, um, what jumped out for you last night? Like, there's a, f- a few things like Nathan McKinnon. A rhinoceros uh, sticking with Nova Scotia. Sidney Crosby was outstanding again, and we've talked so much this year about the pressure the Penguins feel not to squander this great season uh, that Crosby is having. Uh, whether it's Jack Hughes last night scoring in overtime for the New Jersey Devils, whether it's Gabe Velarde's return uh, against his uh, his old team in LA, and they beat him five uh, five two, and he picks up four points in the process. Uh, I mentioned Noah Dobson off the top of the show. More on that with Hickey coming up an hour or two. What grabbed you last night from the NHL? Well, I mean, the Hughes brothers running into each other was quite something, <clears throat> where Jack said that, that he almost funny. knocked out his brother's teeth. It's so awesome. that was pretty good. Um, but no, the, it's the Crosby thing for me. Because, you know, as great as a career as Sidney Crosby has had, and it's going to go down as one of the greatest careers in the history of the game, I always wonder yeah. about how how much greater it would have been had he been healthy. Because when we look at the numbers, the numbers are astounding. But he missed a lot yeah. of time. And so I, I think that's kind of – it's a shame, really, because – I mean, we could say the same thing about Bobby Orr's career as well. But if we're in present day, Sidney Crosby is yeah. that guy. Didn't miss as much time, didn't have his career sh- uh, cut short, but missed a lot of games in his prime where he could have been putting up you know, even more 100-point seasons. And, and this year he's – certainly pacing himself to be around that clip um, at, at, you know, 35, 36 years old. It's been really impressive. It, it's just a, a shame that he's one of those guys that we're going to look back on the career and go, man, he could have been, he could have had even higher point totals had he not been hurt. Yeah, and I think that's one of the remarkable things about Ovechkin as well, too, is how few games that he's missed, specifically considering how much of a robust style uh, he plays. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Uh, I know you, Maddie. so you're thinking about the Oilers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, true or false? You got it, Toyota. Uh, puck line is you. Oilers minus you. one and you. a half. Uh, Tampa Bay is nine and four against the puck line in its last 13 games in Edmonton, Edmonton, as we know, riding an eight game winning streak. And how about this one? Louis DeBrusque is riding an eight game winning streak since being back on the broadcast after returning (laughs) from the Bruins dad's trip. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting with Edmonton right now because they're just cruising along and they're on this great heater and McDavid is scoring, you know, all the goals and picking up all the points and making all the highlights. He tell he's healthy, he's inspired. Uh, the Oilers are one point out of the wild card spot. Uh, they can jump over Arizona tonight uh, with a victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think at that point, because every time I check in with anyone in and around the Oilers and say, like, are you confident saying you're back? It's always, eh, not yet, and eh, not yet. A win against Tampa, I think, it will, will go a long way for two things. One... You get in a playoff position officially, so there's that hurdle cleared, and you've jumped over all those teams. But two, even though Tampa's, I don't want to say struggled, but by Tampa standards, they've struggled. This is a really good team if they can beat them tonight. Tampa's still excellent and still very much in the conversation for the Stanley Cup, given who's all there. 
Uh, so this one should be a good one. A lot of good ones around the NHL tonight. But as always, Edmonton is appointment television for everybody. Enjoy this one. Connor McDavid versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bets local. Elliot Friedman kicks off hour two from the skate in Toronto. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So I woke up this morning and I said to myself, today on the show I want to talk about Noah Dobson. So when you want to talk about a player from a specific team, the best thing you can do is find A, someone who played that position, and B, someone who knows that team and that player. Case in point, and this one, Thomas Hickey, former NHL defenseman, uh, part of the Islanders broadcast crew, also does great work with the NHL Network. He joins me now. Thomas, thanks so much, uh, as always, for stopping by. Let's see, we got about 20 minutes for this conversation. Uh, We'll see if we can talk about anything else other than Noah Dobson, who continues to excel. And I was mentioning off the top of the show, like he's not in, at least for me, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes territory, but he's just in that that level of defenseman, just sort of right underneath there. What have you seen from Noah Dobson so far this season? Yeah, I agree with you, Jeff. And, and 20 minutes might not be enough. Like um, Noah last year, despite having 50 points in back-to-back years, he was good, but he wasn't an all-around defenseman. And this year, it's a completely different player. Um, he, he's been the most important player on the team. And, and there was a time when, like currently Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak are both hurt. And if it was this time last year, that would mean you're probably losing every game because there's no one else to absorb those minutes. But 10 games in a row now, he's played 25 minutes plus. Um, so many points. He's a point-a-game player. He leads the team in plus-minus. Uh, and, and each night, he's he's probably the best player on the team. Obviously, they've you know been trading off with Matt Barzell. He's had a great year as well. But I, I think Noah deserves to be in that Norris conversation as well. And I think it's too early to... Um, to, to certainly pick guys, but I'm not saying he's the guy. I'm yeah. not saying he's Hughes or Makar, but he is that next level. And he's he's been the best defenseman on the ice pretty much every single game I've seen. And this was after a first two games where he didn't play very well. And you thought, oh, no, is, is he mm-hmm. ready? And, and I expect him to get to this level in two or three years. Uh, and he's surpassed that right now. He's He's better today than I thought he'd be next year, even if he progressed and it's every single game, he seems to get better and better. And look, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a guy that looks at points specifically as to who's the best defenseman or, or who the most dangerous guys are. It's defensively as well. I know sure. he's producing at an unbelievable clip, but his defensive game has grown so much too. It's, it's been a treat to watch him play. You know, I'm curious because, listen, you played the position, um, you know, sort of specifically what Noah Dobson is doing out there a lot more than I do or any of our listeners slash viewers. Like, as an NHL defenseman, like, what do you see in Dobson? Like, what does he do where you go like, okay, that's a first-pairing guy because of X, Y, Z? Like, is there something specific that you see in Dobson that, that leads you to believe that he can be in that rarefied air with, with Hughes and McCarr by the end of the year? Yeah, you know, I don't know if he'll get there by the end of the year. I just hold those two guys in such high regard and then, like, Noah's that next yeah. group right after. Um, look, those two guys transport the puck so well, and Noah is more of a pass-first guy, but what you've seen this year in his game is the times when – he can get that wheel in the net and decide, okay, I'm going for it. He's not really an end-to-end player because he's, he's looking to pass first mm-hmm. and he can really deliver it, but that part of his game is showing. And he's not he's not an overly strong guy. You know, he's, he's still only 23 years, 23 years old and he's growing into that. Um, but the ability that you're seeing now, um, he's got long arms. He's got a big range and the ability to shake guys off. And that allows him to make the next play. That's something that's crept into his game where, uh, all of a sudden he'll get the puck in a tight area with people around him, and, and it's just a body positioning to, to turn, to not panic, and to take his time. And he's sort of got a little pocket on a stick that he just cradles the puck so well and it allows him to get his head up and mm-hmm. look for the next option. And I think the part of his game that's grown the most is breaking the puck out, and the things that might not stand out, don't get you points, don't show up on the highlights, 
but an ability to be pressed up against the wall with with someone on you, a four checker, and he, he can handle the puck mm-hmm. in close to his body, uh, just as good as anyone in this league. And that allows him to get out of trouble quick and to move the puck right away. And those are the things when you're talking about Norris players, they play in the offensive zone. They don't play in their own end. And that's allowed him to spend much less time in his own end. And the, the way he's joining the rush right now, I think uh, Matt Barzell in particular is always looking for him. And uh, that's something sure. that Matt Barzell is always looking to. And now you've got a guy that not only are you going to give it to him, you might get it back, but you're, you're going to get points out of it because Noah's ability to deliver the puck to anyone that's open or, or take the shot himself has just been incredible. Talking about Noah Dobson with uh, Thomas Hickey here on the Merrick program. You know, one of the, the um, I don't want to say it's a knock, but sort of one of the observations that people have made about Noah Dobson is that, you know, as you mentioned with uh, when Palak and Pulak are healthy, that's your that's your first pair. One of the observations around uh, Noah Dobson has always been, well, yeah, he's good, but he doesn't get top assignment. That's what Pulak and, and Pelic get. Um, and as I was talking to Elliot a couple of seconds ago before he came on, like you never really know until you know. And okay, so there's some injuries on the back end. Let's see what you got, kid. And now Noah Dobson is getting top assignment. I am curious, how big a jump is that going from where Noah Dobson was um, uh, on the Islanders, on the on the blue line, to where he's been expected to play now, which is top pairing. That means you're getting top assignment. How big a jump is that for a defenseman? It's huge. Uh, but I, honestly, I think as an offensive guy, it can work in your favor. I know that sounds sort of counterintuitive. Hmm. Uh, at the start of the season, they put him with Adam Pellick, and Adam Pellick is a shutdown defenseman. And, and that meant that Noah's going to have that responsibility with tough matchups. To me, uh, look, I, I was mostly a third-pair defenseman, um, you know, but there, there'd be times over my career that you're matching against top lines. What I found is if you think the game really well, like Noah does, there's opportunities because offensive players, the best in the world, they cheat more than more than a third liner, more than a fourth liner. You know you're going to get hit, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that deception that you have, it's it's not really useful when you're playing against someone that's not going to bite. They're they're just going to run through you and and get back on the back check. When Noah plays against better players, I find that he thinks the game offensively really well, but he also understands that these guys are going to be cheating just a little bit. Perhaps it's the head fake, the shoulder fake, the look in one direction and pass it in the other. That those guys thrive off that offense. And and I found for me when I was a defenseman my deception was way more in play when I played against high-end skill players because those guys are looking to cheat. They're looking for you to make that mistake. And if they don't know that you've got that in your toolkit, they're going to keep on biting on it. And I think that's a big part of the offense you've seen from Noah when he's matching up against these top players. You know, we, uh, we'll get off the Dobson page here because there's a couple of more things that I want to want to get to you with with this with this Islanders team that uh, has played great and finds them uh, finds themselves uh, second in the Metropolitan Division. Now the Rangers are kind of running away with this thing, but the Islanders are right there. And you mentioned Matthew Barzell a second ago, and I'll throw Bo Horvat into that conversation as well. When you look at the combination of Barzell and Horvat, does part of you do what I do, and that is think? They could use a because it seems like it's been a revolving door on the on the other side. Do they need to go out and find a consistent winger, one more player here for that line? That's that's been a conversation for so long, right? I, at the beginning, it was can we get at least one guy for yeah. Matt Barzell to play with? And it's not like you didn't have good hockey players. Jordan Everly was a great fit there. Uh, Anders Lee for a long time. They've got good chemistry, but it was can someone run with him? Can someone keep up with that pace and? and play at that, not just a high-end competitive level or thinking level, but skill-wise and get around the ice. And Bo Horvat has been that guy. Uh, Anders Lee is a different player over the last 10 games than he was in the first, we'll call it, 16 games. Uh, Completely different player. And right now he looks good on that line. Um, I I think you could make the case that what would that line look like if you had a top-tier, another top-tier player added to it? there's no doubt that would mm-hmm. make them more dangerous. But I, th- I think the captain of this team, Anders Lee, um, he needs to be relevant. He started the season in a third-line role, and there's so much more impactful when he's involved on the offense. So he's been a good foot- fit there. I-, I wonder if they look for something. There's no doubt that it would help, and Lee could contribute uh, on a different line or with different people. But the, the thing about this group is they sort of got Engvall, Nelson, Palmieri have been their most consistent group for the past 
uh, we'll call it 12 months or whenever Pierre Engvall got here uh, yeah. before the trade deadline last year. And, and that's a group that I think Lane Lambert would be reluctant to split up because uh, five on five, they generate more than anyone. They control play um, even when the other lines are having bad nights. So um, with that, you'd obviously be doing some shuffling around, but no doubt uh, more skill, more speed can be added. Julian Goche is a guy that they brought in really the only move of the off season and since he's been in the yep. lineup, his his speed makes a big difference to the group. I know he's he's not putting up a bunch of points, but I mean, you talk about beating out icings and and establishing a forecheck. That speed goes a long way. So if there's one area to add with this group, with any group in hockey, I'd, I'd always say it's add speed. Big strong guy, Goche is too. Uh, I know he's a gym dog and he lives in it. You light matches off the guy. He's torn up like a bad report card. All the all the cliches, but that guy is. Uh, pound for pound, one of the strongest players in the in the entire NHL, and that covers a lot of ground. Um, Zach Parisi is skating. Zach Parisi That's... is skating. Uh, we wonder about a comeback, Thomas Hickey. Wonder if he's going to be back in the NHL. And I think we're all sort of drawing the line between Minnesota and UBS Arena. Should we? I th- I think you should if he's skating, um, and, and I've heard that as well. Look, I I don't know. I don't have any insight into this, but if Zach Parise is going to come back, I think Lou Lamoureux made it very clear uh, in training camp that the door is open if Zach wants to play. And he was a guy that scored 20 goals last year uh, in a group that you thought was going to struggle for offense. 20 goals is a lot to lose, and they found ways to get it, but he'd be welcomed with open arms, is my opinion, if he did come back. And uh, a guy that fits in the locker room and the group really well and, and and just another piece so that's intriguing to keep an eye on and and look i i don't know this is it's not even speculation this is me just um going through by practical thinking is zach breezy skating and skating hard um i i don't think he's getting in shape to to coach his kids or uh you know to look good at home it's, it's probably for a reason so it's it's definitely something to keep an eye yeah. on uh, for sure. You know, really quickly, just as an aside, uh, on last night's broadcast, um, Shannon Hogan, who's just fantastic, did a great interview with uh, Darius Kasparaitis, who was like, I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, a dangerous hitter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I loved Kasparaitis. I was always a, a big, huge fan of, of Darius Kasparaitis. Loved the interview that she did. Um, do you have a, a thought on Kasparaitis or who are some of your favorite defensemen when you were in your formative years before you got to the Western League? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed watching Darius Kasparaitis play. Like the open ice hits, that ability. I always say it, Jeff, like oh. you can make open ice hits if, if you're not a smart hockey player. So it means that you're sizing things up and reading the play because timing is everything and probably a little bit less so um, in his era. But I think if he played sp- only exclusively for the Islanders, he would go down in Islanders history as everyone's favorite player because that's the brand of, of hockey that these mm. people love. And I watched him growing up. For me, uh, I was a Scott Niedermeyer guy through and through. I was lucky with my agency, uh, Titan Sports, while I was a player, that they represented Scott Niedermeyer yeah. as well. And I got to experience, I got to meet him many times. You know, I got drafted. He called me. I said, first contract, he called me. I got to go uh, for dinner with him. Um, the the uh, the Ducks were playing Vancouver, I believe it was the conference finals, uh, the year they went on to win the Cup. And uh, after the game, my agent said, hey, we're going out for dinner with Scott Niedermeyer. And, and what an experience that was. And I I admired him before I got to meet him and realized the person he is, but the way he played the game when you're mm-hmm. a young player trying to pick who you're going to be, that's who I wanted to be. And unfortunately, I didn't skate like that. Nobody skates like that, and that's not the player that I was. <laughs> Nobody does. It sure, it sure doesn't hurt to uh, to ask questions and, and get intel from one of the game's greatest. I'm curious. Let me let me eavesdrop on that uh, drop on that conversation. What types of things did Niedermeyer tell you? I'm curious. Like you're a you're a young defenseman and having a conversation with Scott Niedermeyer. What does that sound like? Uh, he he was so polite and and well mannered. I think is the thing that that stood out first and yeah. foremost. This is a guy that uh, won Norris trophies and uh, really self spoken guy. So first and foremost, just the way um, you know he treated me that stood out the most. But he talked a lot about Chris Pronger. Um, you know, like I, I'd ask him certain things, and he'd go, "Okay, well, watch watch Chris do this, making his first pass, or watch the way he he can." risk the puck through in the blue line. Like I don't do it like that. And those were things that really stood out to me that he was talking about 
one of the other defensemen on his team, not even himself. And uh, I think probably for the better, because hmm. I, I could learn by watching Scott Niedermeyer, but listening to what he's telling me uh, probably provided more useful tools. Man, that team had a murderous row of defensemen, right? We talk about wow. Niedermeyer and Pronger, and you throw Francois Beauchemin to that mix. And even, like, all the depth guys. Like, man, Joe DePenta looked great there. Like, Kent yeah. Huskins looked good there. Like, everybody on – like, I don't know what it was, but everybody on that Ducks blue line in 07, Jackman, like, they, they all looked really good on that blue line. And I'm sure you played on teams that, that were like that, whether it's the stretch and mean too, right? Like a Brian Burke team. And, and, and up front too. Like that, remember that after that, everyone was, how do we get tougher and be the Anaheim Ducks? Because they're going to run us out of so, the building and they've got yes. extremely skilled players and young guys and Perry and Getzlaff. And that was, that was the blueprint for a bit. Sure was. Uh, listen, this has been great. Oh, by the way, really quick, about 30 seconds for this one. How good can this Islanders team be? Like, first of all, Islanders fans have been great this week uh, against the Maple Leafs. They were fantastic. Uh, but like, how good can this team be? I got about a hot 30 seconds here. Okay, you're really just starting to see it right now. This is a team that it looked like it was unsustainable to stay in the standings where they were about two weeks ago. It looked very uncharacteristic of them. Mm-hmm. There's a quality in a team that finds a way to win. And they were able to do that. But over the last probably five or six games, there's an identity for me. And it looks like a different team than the one that was just getting by and finding ways to win. Uh, tomorrow night against Boston at home to end off their homestand, they got nine to 10 points. Uh, that to me, if they can continue to raise their game and beat the LA's and Toronto's and Boston's, then I think you're going to see a new hockey team and one that should be a playoff team. If not, it, it's a group that will find a way to win, but limp into the playoffs. So it, it's been two different teams and I hope you, you see the one that I've seen over the past week. It's been really enjoyable to see them come together and play a different style of hockey that is sustainable. It's impressive right now, and those Bruins coming off an overtime loss last night against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Thomas has been really insightful, especially the stuff on Dobson. That's fascinating hearing you talk about him from a, from a defenseman's point of view. Uh, continued success, and we'll, we'll check back soon. Thanks so much for doing this with me today. Thanks a lot, Jeff. You got it. Good talking to you. Thomas Hickey, former NHL defenseman, analyst uh, for the New York Islanders, works at MSG Networks, uh, also does some fine work uh, on NHL Network. Uh, was on with him a couple of weeks ago with uh, with the great Mike Rupp. Uh, okay, so wrapping up here, uh, a couple of things tonight on Sportsnet. You can see on Sportsnet Ontario, the Maple Leafs and the Blue Jackets. Uh, later, it is the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Edmonton Oilers. And also on Sportsnet Pacific, the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Florida Panthers. Thanks to the aforementioned Thomas Hickey for stopping by, Elliot Friedman, uh, Jeff Baker, and Brian Boyle. Thanks to David Siss, Andrew Adams handling the board op duties for Lance today and General Nick. And our supervising producer and fill-in host, the very sick but still showing up for work, Matt Marchese. Next 32 Thoughts podcast comes out tomorrow morning. This show is back in 22 hours. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow.